We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of Don't Go in the House on March 28, 1980. It was written by Joseph Ellison, Ellen Hamill, and Joe Macefield, based on a story by Macefield, directed by Joseph Ellison, and released by Film Ventures International. This is our second video nasty after don't answer the phone they've both started with don't so far that's the uh that's the the first thing that they check for for video nasties and actually it's i think our third video nasty is also a don't i think it's a (laughs) don't go in the woods next year uh don't answer the phone was in section three meaning that it couldn't be prosecuted for obscenity but was subjected to seizure and confiscation under a lesser charge this film landed in section two meaning that dealers could be fined or jailed for offering the film for sale which seems uh, extreme. Right, but this was just in the UK. Just in the UK, right. We but don't the UK stand is a for large... that in America. Yeah, no, in America, <laughs> you can just film whatever horrible garbage you want and just sell it to anybody. Uh, the working title for this film was The Burning. Uh, that was changed. Yeah, I mean, that's a more apt title. <laughs> I, I agree, it's, uh, it's definitely accurate. But uh, the title of The Burning was used next year for a horror film written by harvey weinstein so we'll get to that when we get to that uh all the music in the film was original which explains why each song is played about four (laughs) times each and they're all not great uh the building exterior and interior used for donnie's home in the film was falling apart condemned and slated for demolition shortly after shooting until it was purchased by the atlantic highlands historical society and is now the strauss mansion museum Oh. And it looks the exact same today as it does in the film. Where, where is it? Uh, it's in New Jersey, I think. Okay. This movie is screened at the museum for free every October. Yeah. Um, you would think that they would be scared to show this in public at like a big fancy museum for a historical society. But I think they actually credit the film with saving the building. Uh, because otherwise it would have been demolished. So they're like, oh, this film brought attention to the building. And then we saved the building. So it at least deserves to be seen. It, it, and it looked... I, I was freezing the movie when it did that really wide shot because there doesn't appear to be anything else around it no and it still looks like that it's not like it got crowded with bigger buildings yeah and and there's unbelievably large trees very close to it and i was like oh yeah that's too many tree, big trees next to the house uh, those trees got to come down but it's a cool but, building oh no it's very, it's very very interesting looking um there's a sequel on the dvd called don't go in the house again <laughs> Which is a short, it's 11 minutes long, and it's mostly documentary footage on the production, but includes a tour of the house from a representative from the Atlantic Highlands Historical Society. Huh. Yeah, there, I think there is a shot where you could see a plaque that says that it's a museum when they, when he's going in the It house. wasn't a museum at the time of the film. Oh, there was there's some sort of plaque outside the front door. It might have had some historical significance prior to that, but it wasn't actually bought by this society until after the movie because that's when they found out it was going to get taken down. Oh, okay. But that's why everything's in disrepair. All the walls are stripped all the time because the interiors are the actual interiors of the building. Uh, we start the film. In a completely dark kitchen where a woman's hand lights a stovetop burner. And we cut from that to the inside of an incinerator. That's what this is, right? This is some kind of incineration facility or garbage? Yeah, they, yeah. they're facility. basically trash men and they burn yeah. garbage. You, this is confirmed later in the disco scene when they make a lot of jokes about them being garbage, garbage men. men yeah. mm. um, so Donnie is basically hypnotized by the fire of the incinerator. An employee has to like come and close the window to remind him, like, you're going to ruin your vision if you just stare at flames like that forever. Another coworker uh, accidentally pushes like a pressurized canister into some flames in his incinerator, and when it explodes, it blasts these chemicals out at him and completely covers him in flame. Uh, funny aside. I know, I know I've heard this story before, but <laughs> that, I'd love to hear it again. That happened to me. <laughs> My family owned some property uh, way back when, and uh, we were burning some of the bathroom trash because it was also supposed to be, supposed to be just paper, just toilet paper. 
stuff that you didn't flush. So it was one that was gross that we're burning it anyway, but I was told to do it. I was a kid. I did not know that there was an aerosol container also in the trash. So as I'm prodding it with a stick, trying to make sure it's all burning, I'm getting down right my face right into the fire when just kaboom. And I stumble backwards over one of the chairs or something like that and just land on my back. The aerosol can landed like 20 feet away. <laughs> it was just blasted that completely. is horrifying. So is that where you got all the scars? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it changes the story every time. <laughs> That's terrifying. I mean, that thing could have shot up and hit you oh, yeah. in the face. Yeah. But nothing. No, no, no burns, no singes. I, I was very, very lucky that uh, the, I think it's probably because I was out in the open. So the, the blast had a lot of direction that it could go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was my closest experience to an explosion. And your your coworker just stood and stared as yeah. he rolled over <laughs> on the ground. Wow. Your parents never made you burn the trash again. Yeah. Until next time. I don't think it would matter if they asked me to again. I would not do it from that point forward. So yeah, this is the rare kind of incineration facility where they don't have any sort of emergency procedure for if someone catches on fire. Not only is everyone Wait, wearing... hold on though. I don't care that they don't have an emergency procedure. Like the world has one. It's called Stop, Drop, and Roll. Well, that was invented in 1982 though. Is that true? You're making I, that I don't, up. I don't think so. I think it was invented in like the early BCs. <laughs> but in the UK, it's, it's Stop, Lay Down, and Smolder. Yes. <laughs> Well, this wasn't shot in the UK, so that's that's not it's not a local problem. They're not more flammable than us. <laughs> but they're both we'll wearing see about that. They're both wearing these massive fire protection suits. Ha. It was coined in the nineteen seven late nineteen seventies. So okay. it would have been fresh on people's minds as they campaigned to get everybody Depending to on stop when dropping they shot. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, maybe this film is the reason why they developed it, because of poor Ben. But uh, he catches on fire and doesn't stop, drop, or roll. He doesn't do any of those three things. He drops eventually. (laughs) He does drop. But it doesn't look like that's of his own volition. Um, And there's no showers or, like, system of, like, covering people right away. Yeah. (laughs) In an incineration facility, that's the one thing you would demand, I think. Mm -hmm. But uh, Donnie is, same as with the incinerator, just hypnotized by his flaming coworker. Bob arrives... Um, first his boss shows up and his boss is like what are you doing you gotta help you're not helping us yeah Vito and uh, Ben is rolling around on the ground in flames not rolling just laying down on on fire and they're they're like they're like trying to put a blank fire blanket on him yeah and uh, another co-worker Bob who's kind of more a friend of Donnie's is like leave him alone we gotta help Ben like stop yelling at that other guy we gotta get the fire off of this person later in a locker room Vito corners Donnie and starts yelling at him for not helping. Donnie's not really making a lot of sense here. It just covered. It covered him up. He wasn't evil, but it covered him up. What are you talking about? I covered Ben! No, the, the cover of flame. The cover of the flame. You know you're crazy. Um, and he and he says that he's gay. He says the, the word that we don't say for gay. And that he's a sicko for not helping. But his other coworker Bobby, who seems to be more friendly with him, tries to talk them down on their way out of the building. And he's like, "Hey, you know, you're probably just in shock. Your people freeze up when, when terrible stuff like that happens." And uh, I love that he jumped on this. You know, similar, sim- similar to in Simon when he jumped on the excuse. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's lovely. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. It's, I froze, and you know what? I bet he's gay. He's probably the gay one, right? Because they're always doing that. They're calling other people gay, and trying to confuse things. And Bob's like, yeah, you know what he probably is anyway. You want to go? Uh, you want to go get a beer with me? And he's like, oh no, I got to get home to my mother. So we move to Donnie driving his truck home, and we're hearing these echoey voices. That over the course of the film are at times very difficult to understand. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know if they're meant to be understood or if it was just a super poor mix, or you know, like I'm not, I'm not sure if it's sort of like the horror movie treatment where you're like. Oh, there's vague whisperings, and it doesn't matter that I don't understand it. But I feel like you're supposed to understand it, and it's just bad mix. Yeah, I'm not clear on it either. I think they they had to choose some effect to indicate that this was like a supernatural voice that he's hearing, and unfortunately, the one that they did just kind of obscures what they're saying too too often for me. Mm-hmm. But he's driving home, and the voices are saying, "Yeah, go home. You're be a good boy. Your mother's waiting for you." When he gets home, he steps up to the same oven 
that we saw before and he lights the same uh, stovetop burner to make some tea which he brings up to his mother um, but while he's making the tea actually he stares at a matchbox on the counter and we kind yeah. of push into it for a while and we hear this uh, voice of a young boy saying no mother don't mother no he takes her her tea and he finds her dead in her chair in the corner of the room and see this was a surprise for me because i was certain she was already dead but then when he is surprised by her death i was like oh she really did just die i thought she's been dead like psycho kind of dead well i went back and forth on it because i thought when he goes up it's like yeah she's gonna be dead and he's just gonna pretend like she's alive and then he's shocked that she's dead and i was like Maybe he just comes home and is shocked that she's dead every, every day time. and convinces himself that she's just asleep uh, and then goes back to fresh. work. But that that's the only deciding factor there is that she doesn't look like she's been dead for a week even. Mm. Like she's kind of purple, but she's not like blackening. Not a 51st dates scenario. Yes. I, uh, I, a I, much darker movie <laughs> if she's been dead the whole time. I was genuinely genuinely surprised by his reaction though because like if I felt like we were obviously setting him up to be some sort of psychopath already and and his genuinely emotional response to his mother dying yeah you know was was it was very dramatic which is a lot like in psycho where like it seemed like the only thing that he cared about was his mom Mm -hmm. so naturally anybody else's death is meaningless to him because they're almost nobody else is an actual person other than him and his mother but Um, he quickly gets over when the voices tell him you can do whatever you want now right can i listen to my music yeah (laughs) And then we get like a Home Alone montage of him like, I'm going to jump on the furniture because mm-hmm. no one's going to tell me no. And it's like, as an adult, you still have that drive to jump on furniture? I don't want to do that anymore. My knees. <laughs> I'm old. He also like rocked a chair back and forth that wasn't a rocking chair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he like... smoked a cigarette. <laughs> and then he stubs it out on this uh, like porcelain angel's face on the fireplace mantle. But then we hear his mom's voice yelling at him to stop it. And he freaks out and runs around putting things away, resetting the furniture, turns off the music, and runs up to her room. And the voices are like, no, no, she's dead. She's still dead. And a bunch of other stuff that I don't really understand. They they said that she needs to be purified. She needs to be purified. Okay. Um, We get this quick flashback of his mother's preferred method of punishment slash torture, where she lights that burner and... Uh, Donnie as a child is standing next to the stove and she grabs both of his arms and pulls them over the flame. Um, here it seems like she's holding it on either sides of the flame for mm-hmm. the production, but the implication is supposed to be that she's holding them, them literally over the fire right, right. to burn his arms. But still, that looked like it was way too close to the fire. And I, I couldn't tell if it was like a prosthetic. Like yeah. In some shots it looked like rubber arms, but then another like because the 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 arms do have all these like scratches and rashes Mm -hmm. on one side and they're there when there's fire under them and when there's not so it seems like they're actually holding a kid's arms over it and even the anguish tortured face that this kid is making almost made it look like it was made out of rubber because Mm -hmm. he's screaming so wide and i was like is that even a real kid like i don't think this movie had the budget for a fake kid i think that kid's just screaming that wildly yeah um but it's pretty terrifying Donnie goes back upstairs and he does something to his mother. We can only see in like a shadow silhouetted on the wall, but I'm not clear what he's doing here. Mm. Um, We know that he burns her at some point, but we never see it. Well, does he burn her though? That was my question. Yeah. I, it, it, at least in the, in the, the side research I did about the, the full plot synopsis that's written elsewhere. Okay. Uh, they said that her body was burned, and that's why she's all black and okay. later Because I couldn't tell if she was actually burned or just decomposing because the other burnt bodies don't look like that. Right. Where it's just the skin darkening instead of actually, like, changing texture. Right. Yeah, she yeah she definitely is unique among the, the way the burned body is. But like. if he's burning her, I don't know how he's doing it because it's not, like, full-on yeah. incineration. She looked more like frostbite like he left her on top of mount everest yeah but that's the opposite of burning i don't know if they if he literally just like held (laughs) matches up to her until they burned her skin i don't know i don't know what he's doing here but uh, he's doing it by golly he's doing it the next day he builds an entire room of his house encased in steel Uh, he gets a call from bobby from work saying hey how's it going Uh, i was thinking we could get some coffee before work and talk about what happened and he's like, what do you mean? 
what are you talking about? It's yeah. like, well, the, the fire and how Ben caught on fire and you didn't help. Remember, you did, did you want to talk about that? And he's like, oh, <laughs> I, yeah, I forgot about that. No, uh, my mom's sick, so I'm probably not going to come in today. And he's like, okay, uh, that sounds fine. That night, Donnie goes to a basically like a military surplus store. And I can't tell if he's buying all this stuff, but he, he looks at a bunch of knives, mm-hmm. a bunch of guns, and this World War II era firefighting uniform. Yeah. And uh, presumably a flamethrower. Yeah, I'm but, assuming he bought a flamethrower at this place. Because they used those in the war too. But uh, he probably bought all this stuff. And then goes next door or down a block to the florist after they've closed. Uh, asking for a very simple bouquet of flowers for his sick mother. Uh, the woman doesn't want to let him into the store for obvious reasons. Uh, one, he seems crazy. And two, they're closed. But eventually he talks her into letting him come into the store to just buy one bouquet of like prearranged flowers. He's not going to waste too much of her time. He wastes enough of it, though. Because she misses her bus. Right. She locks the door behind him, which is already terrifying because you're like... I mean, I get that you don't want more customers to come in, but it's like now you're locked in this room with him. Like if someone else saw you getting attacked, they couldn't help you because the door is locked. So you're already freaking out because you're like, what is this guy going to do to her? But he just buys flowers and then he leaves. Um, very very tense yeah he he takes his time though leaving and i think the implication might be that he is intentionally making her late so that she will miss her bus how does he know that she takes the bus i mean is has he scoped this woman out we don't see him casing this joint so i I don't know it just seems like it just seems like this like it must have been his plan to make her miss the bus and give her a ride but i don't it doesn't it, it doesn't seem plotted up until this point yeah, we, we've never seen this florist before right and he's he obviously stopped there with the intent to get flowers as if this is part of his plan but and i forget if he gives the flowers to his mom i don't i don't remember seeing them later in the movie i don't remember but i i i didn't think until he pointed out oh well if it wasn't for me you wouldn't have missed your bus that that was part of his plan at all but after he said that i was like oh did he do that on purpose but just because we don't see it doesn't mean he hasn't been watching this woman and figuring out when she leaves. Sure. But it also kind of goes against his M.O. later, where he just seems to pick up anybody. Yeah. Well, he also gets more and more frantic as the film goes on. But... I mean, this is also the day after his mom died. So he's like, finally he has the freedom to do whatever he wants. It doesn't seem like he's had free time in order to do these sorts of things before. Yeah. But... It does seem like he's been planning a big metal room in his house for a while because he's set to work on that pretty quickly. It was a day. Yeah. When she ends up coming out of the store later than usual because he's wasted her time, there's another group of men outside that are just making lewd gestures and making lascivious remarks to her. And she doesn't want to hang out and wait for the next bus or get a ride with these weird people. And the flower customer is right there, and he seems like a nice guy. He's buying flowers for a sick mom, so he offers her a ride, and she accepts it. Her second mistake, or third or fourth maybe, I'm losing track, is to remind him that flowers need to go in water, in case he didn't know that. Because this gives him an excuse to bring up, oh, well, then I'd better get them home right away. Do you mind if we stop by my house? And then I'll take you to your final destination. Right. In the franchise sense of the word. Yeah. So she eventually says, yeah, that's fine. We can stop by your house. They get to the house and then she makes her fifth or sixth mistake by agreeing to come inside and say hi to his mother, Mm -hmm. which I feel like is the first step that nobody would do. But uh, for some reason, she agrees to go into this house and say hi to some random person's sick mom uh, with the flowers. Like, oh, she's going to get a real kick out of this that I just brought a random florist into her home. She goes inside and he kind of disappears upstairs to check on his mom. And very suddenly appears right behind her while she's, like, inspecting the home to say, oh, she's much sicker than I thought. we got to call the doctor and get him down here. And she's like, oh, I'm just going to call a cab to go. And he's like, okay, well, let me call the doctor first. So he calls, he pretends to call a doctor. He's got his hand on the receiver, so he's technically holding the phone down. Mm-hmm. And uh, he pretends he's talking to a doctor and that he's going to be right there. And then she says, okay, now I'm going to call a cab. And he says, well, you don't have to do that. I'll take you home as soon as the doctor leaves. And she's like, no, I'm going to call a cab. And how is it that she has a cab memorized? Well, she doesn't have a car. I feel like is I, might, something you I might do, do that. Yeah, um, it's 1980. 
And maybe there's like a 1-800-blah-blah-blah taxi or something two, like two, that. Two, right. two, or two, she two, calls two, the two. operator and just says, connect me to a taxi company. Yeah. But uh, she starts to make that phone call and gets as far as, I need a cab before she is knocked unconscious. Uh, he picks up like some metal object from a shelf and hits her in the back of the head. Uh, she wakes up, chained to the ceiling of the steel-coated room, completely naked. And uh, she's already freaking out when the door opens to reveal him in the firefighting uniform, carrying a big can of gas, which he dumps all over her, and then she screams at him while he lifts and points a flamethrower at her, and then turns it on, and just burns her to a crisp. Yeah, this this was a really interesting flame effect, because it almost looked like it was animated. Yeah. But... I think it kind of alternates. There's there's the first shot, it looks like the, the fire is animated. Mm-hmm. And the second shot, it looks like there's a person standing there, and then they're mixing it with a shot of a model that's on fire. Yeah, there's definitely some layered comping going on here, because yeah. you can see She's multiple flames on. that have, like edges where they trimmed stuff out that are mm-hmm. not that are like hard edges that are overlapping each other in these different flames that are happening but it's a it's a pretty convincing effect for the time period i would say and this shot by itself is the only reason that this movie became considered a video nasty i'm 100 percent sure oh it's horrifying it was really uncomfortable to watch and this is pretty much the only change that they made before it was allowed to be sold in the uk was taking this shot out of the movie and then he moves forward, still wearing the uniform, and hugs the corpse, which becomes, like, part of his routine. Donnie's boss is at work, uh, sorry, Vito, is at work with Bobby and says, your buddy's been out for a week, and uh, if he doesn't show up on Monday, he's going to get fired, pass it on, basically. For some reason, Bobby cares a lot about Donnie and mm-hmm. uh, him keeping his job, even though um, he's a weird guy. Uh a woman's car breaks down on the side of the road and just super lucky for Donnie that he came across this woman first and he's like oh hey you need a ride to the next gas station and she's like oh yeah that'd be great and he says is it okay if we stop at my house it's on the way and it's like we're like on a freeway I'd, yeah i'd be very surprised if your house was on the way to the next gas station and i guess we're we're supposed to assume that he's just cruising for people at this point right because this we've never seen this road before and nor that we nor have we ever suspected that they were even near an ocean yeah it's right. definitely like a like a, a long stretch of open like seaside highway yeah that she's like up against some sand dunes and it's looks really cold and windy yeah, yeah. but either way this woman is much less reluctant to get in the car and to probably go into the house but we just see i'd be so grateful if you help me out and she gets in the car then they start to drive away and he says do you mind if we stop by my house first we cut immediately to the aftermath of her burning corpse and she's just hanging smoking from the ceiling already blackened from the fire and again he moves forward and hugs this body we cut to a local grocery store where donnie has gotten increasingly desperate and he's just standing by the checkout and after this woman pays for her stuff, he's like, hey, can I help you carry your stuff? And she's like, no, 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 I'm good. And he's like, oh, you need a ride home? I'll give you a ride home. Oh, can we stop at my house on the way? And she's like, no, I don't need a ride home. Yeah. Can, you leave me? can you get out of my way, please? And the, the guy running the grocery store is like, hey, is there a problem here? Do you, can you just leave her alone? And he says, oh, you know what? You're so right. I probably offended her. I better go out there and apologize. And then he follows her out of the store. And we cut immediately to him holding her corpse in his mother's room walking up to her and saying, oh, I just wanted to introduce you to Linda before I show her to the others. And at this point, we see this shot of the mother completely black sitting in the chair, either from mm-hmm. burning or decomposition. Um, and then he carries her out of his mother's room. Uh, Bobby from work calls again and says, you're going to get fired if you don't come in on Monday. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, that's great. I'll be in on Monday. It's not a problem. But while they're talking, Donnie has a very sudden vision of his mother's corpse standing at the banister, pointing at him and shouting. And it's a very terrifying shot. I wonder if this is why they did her blackened effect differently, because she she needed to actually act in this makeup Mm -hmm. as opposed to the others, which are assume they're not actual women in those burnt bodies. They're just mannequins of some sort or they are women. They're. They, oh, well, they, they move later. They do. Yeah, okay. That that part is actually an interesting little bit of trivia when we get to it. But um, 
but yeah, so uh, his mother's corpse is standing there pointing at him. Uh, and Donnie is distracted and frightened by it and kind of stops responding to what Bobby's saying. And he's like, look, I tried to help you, man, but it doesn't seem like you want my help. You're basically on your own. And he's like, no, 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 wait, Bobby, you got to help me. I'm in so much trouble. My mom is so sick. And and I got Father Garrity coming to the house because mom hasn't been able to make it to church. And Bobby says, well, you need to be at work on Monday if you want to keep the job. And so uh, he hangs up and then Donnie hears his mom's voice shouting through the house. Uh, you have to stop what you're doing and you're a bad boy and he starts shouting back at her and the voices in his head are kind of egging him on like you need to punish her you need to punish her again and we're gonna punish her together and so he repeats that threat to his mom um, and then he goes and slaps around the other corpses right he hears giggling coming from another room and he runs in and he says, you think I'm crazy for talking to my mother like that? And he turns on the light and we see that the three women that he's burnt so far, he has their blackened, crispy bodies back in the clothes that he took off of them before he burnt them. But they literally cast three women who were the same height as the women that he killed, but who were like gymnasts or dancers or something. So, so they thin. were extremely thin yeah. and because they would have lost the water weight from being burnt but i just like the fact that they put that much effort into casting mm -hmm. these three characters that barely move at all in the movie is just like okay there was some attention to detail going on beyond like just the typical production of the film well i think when you're doing a, a thing like that too you know the layers of makeup would right. would would add what looks like weight to these women and yeah. so they would they probably would have looked much thicker once once he added all those layers of makeup so you know finding somebody thinner and very convincing makeup I mean, Absolutely. Yeah. They, they definitely look like well done charred bodies. Yeah. I, I think the, the combination of from we're, Richard's we're experience. Gonna, <laughs> we're going to keep referring to human corpses as being like different levels of meat being cooked properly. But yeah, I, I think the combination of, of uh, the attention to detail and a really decent makeup job makes uh, for uh, it, it totally makes that element of the film that these. These people look like corpses, and uh, it's just that much creepier when it looks real. We're at the halfway point of this movie, and almost everything crazy that's going to happen has happened at this point. Um, I feel like that's a pacing issue for me. Oh, this, we, yeah, we can get to that later, but there's a lot of pacing issues with this movie. Yeah, but if, if it had kept going at this speed the whole time, this would be... You know, one of my favorite horror movies. Like, if they if he'd have kept out doing himself and been crazier and crazier yeah. moving forward, this would be like everybody would already know the name of this movie. But it just uh, it starts to go downhill from here for me. It went as soon as it had a dream sequence. I was like, all right, yeah. Um, that that part didn't bother me as much as long as things are still crazy when he wakes up. But when he wakes up, it's like suddenly he's back in reality and everything is normal for the rest of the movie. And it's yeah. like, why is this happening? So, yeah, but that night uh, he turns up all of his music and goes to bed because he sleeps better with this his rock and roll blasting just to piss his mom off. Um, and he has this nightmare of all these fires and explosions going off on a beach. And they kind of open up this crevice in the sand. And when he goes to look into it, his three burn victims jump out and grab him and start pulling him in. And he's screaming and screaming. And then he wakes up. And uh, he goes to check the stairs up to his mother's room, and he sees her standing at the top saying, I'll get you, Donald. I'll get you, Donald. I'll get you. Ah! And there's like, her whole room is on fire behind her. Mm -hmm. And he freaks out about it and decides, I need to go to the church. I need to talk to Father Garrity. So, um, and unless I misunderstood the bit of trivia that I read, all of the sound for this movie, for the entire production, was lost. Like, it was recorded on faulty equipment. So, I think the actual, the, the whole movie is ADR. That kind of makes sense, because I felt like all, all of the lines felt a little off to me. And I thought maybe they had done this intentionally to, to make it kind of weird and eerie, but that I, makes I have more seen, sense. <laughs> I have seen that happen for horror movies, but um, I think it happened by accident or as a result of, like, production negligence on this film. But for most of the movie, it's honestly not that bad. But this scene at the church is really bad. Yeah. And for most of the rest of the movie, I was faulting the actor playing Father Garrity for the performance. But I'm starting to realize that probably wasn't even him doing the ADR for that character. 
the voice sounds totally wrong to me. Now that mm-hmm. you say that, I was like, yeah, this voice doesn't match this person. And yeah. it, that makes more sense that they just had to find whoever they could to fill in. And the delivery is so stilted. I'm, I'm sure it was just someone in editorial that was like, oh, well, we can't get this guy in, so I'll just read these lines. Put these thoughts of evil out of your mind now. Resist them and you'll find peace. Don't you want that? Yes. But, and maybe even as placeholders, and they were like, eh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> like in Don't Answer the Phone, when you had like the woman talking to her mother on the phone at the beginning, and it's clearly just a man's voice going like, oh, how was your day, honey? <laughs> oh, it was great, Mom. But yeah. The... I don't know her mom. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'm, I'm being judgmental. He shows his burn marks to the priest, and he says that he was born from an evil deed, and that his mother was trying to burn it out of him, burn the sin out of him, which I think implies that she was raped and that he is the result of rape. Is that the implication of that um, line? Unless it could just, be. I mean, unless she's just considering sex at all an evil deed. Oh, maybe. But the the priest seems yeah, yeah. He, he he doesn't seem too like confused about this. He's just like, well, you know, you need you need to forgive your mother for this. And so is this what uh, Donnie means when he says he confessed to the priest? Because I was really confused later. He says he says he confessed to the priest, and I was like, you didn't tell the priest you killed a bunch of ladies. Yeah, if you did, it didn't happen on camera here. Yeah. Um, the most he does is he's digging through. The reason he goes to the church isn't even to talk to the priest. It's to steal holy water. And the priest catches him doing it, and he's like, why are you stealing that? You could have just asked for it. And he said, well... This is good for the fire, right? The, this puts out the fire. He's like, are you having problems? <laughs> and then he shows him the scars and everything. But I, th- I thought the implication is that he literally like thought he had to drink it to like quell these demons inside of him or something. Yeah, Like it scene, was like a magical solution. <laughs> this scene, though, for what it is, goes on way too long. Because yeah. the, there really isn't a point to the scene aside from him getting the holy water. Yeah, but the dialogue from the priest here is so bad. Well, but it's it's also a little unusual because Donnie says, do you believe in the devil? It's like, what kind of question is that to ask a priest? Of I course like, I don't. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I was like well, I was like, okay, because he does. It's like, do you believe in the devil? What kind of a question is that to ask a priest? Do you? Well, I believe in evil, yes but not in the devil. But I've seen the devil. Oh, he doesn't? Well, then I feel that is a good question yeah. to ask a priest. <laughs> yeah. It all depends on the denomination, which I don't think is clear in this movie. So, yeah. And he also is like, he says that there's no such thing as evil, even. That you're like, there's only evil if you let there be evil. And it's like, what are you, what are you trying to, I'm sorry. You're going to have you? to parse this out more. Are you actually the priest here? <laughs> Do you just sell guns out of a church? Um, <laughs> I understood that <laughs> but uh, yeah he's uh, this whole scene doesn't make a lot of sense back at home though he takes this advice to heart and immediately asks for his mother's forgiveness at the same time as he's forgiving her for what she did to him because he says we must forgive those who trespass against us which is a line I will use the next time I'm caught trespassing just be like <laughs> hey, you're not allowed to be here. I'll be like, we must forgive those who trespass. And then the top corner of my head comes off <laughs> like I'm in Tom Horn. <laughs> oh, wait, we didn't watch that yet. <laughs> anyway, uh, Donnie calls Bobby. Yeah, so first he wanders around the ocean for a while. Yeah. Just looking like looking out into the sea and he goes, I'm going to go up to this payphone and call Bobby for some reason. It's probably the same shoot day from when... He was attacked in his dream. Like yeah. They were on the beach and they were like, let's just do that phone call here. Same shoot day he picked up the lady on the beachside road. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> we can we can map out the entire production by just <laughs> seeing one set from the other set. But yeah, he goes and he picks up the phone and he says, hey, Bobby, how's it going? And Bobby's like, oh, I did not expect this phone call from you and I thought maybe I'd never talk to you again. But I also lined up a double date for both of us tonight. Mm-hmm. And he says it loud enough for his wife in the background with his son to hear. Yeah. Guess what I got lined up for tonight. Two. Two live ones, man. And let me tell you, they are dynamite. You know what they're into? No. What? I can't go into detail right now, but take my word for it. They are dynamite. 
It's a very like, weird situation. I, I like that Bobby in this one says, I got two real live ones. And I'm like, yeah, not for long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also like, I can't say more now, but I got two live ones for us tonight at the disco. And it's like, that's a lot to say with yeah. an earshot of your wife. But I did, I unless I misheard this line from the wife in the background, the wife is like trying to cook something in the kitchen and their son is following her into the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And I think she says, Bob, I'm going to kill this kid if you don't get him out of here. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like a weirdly dark thing for like this side character. Bob, I'm going to kill this kid if you don't get him out of here. Although this side character is actually one of the writers of the film. What do you mean the side character? Bobby? Bobby's wife. Oh, Bobby's wife is one mm-hmm. of the writers. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who I think is actually the wife or at least girlfriend at the time and eventual wife of the director of the film. But so this, it, But this isn't the mom and son from the end of the that, movie, right? That was going to be my same question. Yeah. It's yeah. not. I had the same question and I looked it up. They're credited as two different people. Okay, because so. I was like, that line could be a setup for the end of the movie. That's what I thought. The yeah. second time I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's the that's the first hint that she's an abusive mom. And then it's like, no, that's just something that moms say in the real world. <laughs> but it's just weird that they put that real flavor of a thing. Because like all that. the moms in my experience... <laughs> Often and out loud, threaten to murder their children for being in the kitchen. Don't tell everybody this. (laughs) You're gonna get me in trouble. No, it's okay. (laughs) If you can't find a body, you can't charge the murder. And we we appreciate all our CPS listeners. Yes. (laughs) I should know who they are after this. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have them. uh, We'll have them visiting. Uh, Donnie decides he's going to go out and buy a suit because he wants to look nice for uh, for this double date. And are these guys ripping him off? Is that what the joke is here? Or are they genuinely interested in his fashion? I feel like the four words, Donnie buys a suit, encapsulate the whole next five minutes of yeah, what happens. Yeah. That was my only note here. Suit scene, way too long. Yeah, I, I wrote, <laughs> he goes and buys a new outfit. All the dialogue in this suit store sounds like the kind of dialogue that you have when characters in the background are talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to be paying attention to a different conversation. I almost felt like... His voices were supposed to be talking to him during this entire conversation. And we're not even supposed to hear what the salesperson is saying. Yeah. But they're not talking to him. So all we hear is this guy talking about different styles and what he approves of and what's good for disco. It's such a dry scene. It reminds me a lot of the scene in Joe versus the Volcano when he's buying his suitcases. Oh, yeah. And the salesman's just like super in love with all of his choices but at least in that movie the suitcases play a role exactly in this movie there's no there's no point to this suit yeah the suit doesn't pay off at all says you he's looking sharp (laughs) (laughs) i didn't even notice uh it's not a very well-lit club but the uh there's a couple in the store when donnie comes in just to add more dialogue i guess Mm -hmm. and the woman's like okay well i guess we'll check elsewhere and they leave and then he's like, oh, she really liked this shirt, right? I'm going to get this shirt. He's like, no, she didn't like it. That's why they just left without it. She mm-hmm. said it was stupid. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, how much is it? Like, he kind of wants that shirt anyway. He doesn't care. But the guy that walks out with the woman, um, he's a cinematographer. His name is Ken Kelsch. And he did camera work on Last House on the Left. Um, he DP'd most of Abel Ferreira's movies, including, like, Bad Lieutenant, like the big ones. Okay. And uh, he actually was working on this movie... Uh, this was early in his career, so he was in the electrical department. But I'm sure they just were like, we need another person in this scene. Can mm-hmm. you go stand over there? Yeah. So he buys this suit, and they go on their double date. And the girls all start making trash jokes because they're trash men. Yeah. And they are prostitutes, question mark? Oh, that would make more sense. I was like, how, how did he line up two chicks for tonight before he knew he had a buddy? Yeah, Prostitutes I don't, makes more sense. I don't know if maybe he was just going to have two chicks. But yeah, so they're sitting at the table and he's like, that's your girl, this is my girl. Kind of like last married and couple situation. And they seem super into them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They mean, don't the, care. the ladies seem like they're actively trying. Yeah, they don't care that these are a couple of stinky garbage men and that one of them is like actively weird. Um, like aggressively weird. The first two go out on the dance floor and this girl kind of gets left at the table with Donnie who doesn't dance of course he doesn't dance uh he doesn't do anything well if your friends don't dance if they don't dance then they're no they're friends, no of, friends mine. of mine uh but she keeps getting hit on by other people because they see that she's not getting danced with so first a guy comes up it turns out this is actually her brother not a romantic interest but he's already pissed off that it's like oh there's a guy talking to you 
this is unacceptable. Who was that? She's like, that's my brother. And then another guy comes over and he's like, hey, you want to dance, sweetie? And she's like, oh, yeah, you don't mind if I dance, do you? And she leaves and goes to dance with that other guy. But the only reason for the brother to come up in the first place was to set up what happens in a minute, which is she comes back and begs Donnie to dance. He really doesn't want to do it. So she starts pulling on his arms and she's holding his arms over a table with a candle on it. And it's basically a recreating of what his mom did to him for the Mm. torture. And he loses it. He picks up this candle and he smashes it across her face. Yeah. So there's like burnt wax melting down one side of her face. Her hair's on fire. Her hair's on fire and glass shards everywhere. And so this is the most bizarre point in the movie to me because nobody in this club reacts. All the people just keep dancing. People at the tables keep having conversations. Like, one of her friends runs over to her brother, like, casually. Like, I think she's still standing on the dance floor on fire. And the friend runs over and is like, hey, this guy just just threw a candle in your sister's face. Yeah. And and Bobby seems upset about it. He's like, hey, man, what are you doing? Come on. That's it. That's the grand sum total of reactions to this. Bobby doesn't even follow him out. The only person who follows him out is the brother. Yeah. And the brother's like, you you maimed my sister. You ruined her face for life. I'm going to kill you. And there's this cool tackle shot when he's... Donnie's basically just walking through the parking structure and faster and faster and faster. But when this guy catches up with him, he like dive tackles him Mm -hmm. and they crash right in front of the camera and the camera shakes when they hit the ground. Like it's such force that it's like shaking the structure. But somehow Donnie is able to worm his way out of this fight and get to his truck and leave. Well, the guy's wailing on him, but then Donnie lays one hit on him and the guy goes down. Yeah. So I, I, I guess we're supposed to assume that Donnie after lifting all these weights of women corpses that he's probably there you go gained some muscle is. mass and all the construction that he's been doing mm-hmm. uh donnie he, he hops into the pickup truck and, and drives away and on his way home he's still like panicking and touching his head because he's hearing these voices same as don't answer the phone we have our crazy killer guy has these migraines and he's hearing voices in his head and touching his temple all the time and uh he notices two girls that are standing outside of a bar, screaming for a ride. They're basically, like, jumping into traffic. But he pulls up next to them. He's like, hey, do you want a ride? And they're like, oh, this is great. So they hop into the car with him, no problem. The girl in the passenger seat is knocking this drunk dialogue out of the park. She is (laughs) phenomenal. This whole scene is great. Absolutely. The best part of this entire movie was this girl's drunk performance. Yeah. I actually thought the first kill was done pretty well. I thought it was a very chilling visual effect and all that stuff i i thought that scene was done well but this is my favorite scene in the right. movie if i wanted to watch any part of this movie again it is the drunk girl yeah because she's doing this like hiccupy thing where she's like mid-word like oh hey patty you think Je- jeff is gonna be there listen if oh. jeff is gonna be there i don't want to go are you gonna start with that again who's jeff oh is this uh, real ass don't worry oh. i'm sure that janice and billy and all the rest of them are gonna be there We'll just sit with him. Ignore him. I can't just ignore him. He follows me around. He's such a drag. Drag. I would think she might actually be drunk in this scene because it is so... is the most convincing drunk I've ever seen. But she's she's on top of all our lines and everything, too. I, I think she's just a great actress, actually. So he decides he's going to take them home because they're like, oh, we want to go to the next bar. And he's like, well, why don't you? we just go to my house and you can call whoever you want and just drink there. And they're like, well, what about beer? We need beer. And he's like, yeah, I'll get you beer. I don't care. And so they're excited because they think they just got like a free house party. Yeah. Because they're drunk, so they don't realize how dangerous this is. Bobby runs over to Father Garrity, the only other person he knows that knows Donnie, and says, hey, Donnie's in trouble. This guy's going to kill him that we were at this club with. Not not Donnie tried to maybe kill yeah. or named a woman. It was like, he's just in trouble. Some, some guy's trying to kill him and you need to help him. Yeah. I don't know if I should it's go to the police. It's on us to protect him from the guy whose sister he almost killed by smashing her face with glass. I, I will say Bobby is 100% invested in Donnie's future. Yeah, I, and that's it's never really made clear why he cares so much about him, but he really seems to. Uh, the drunk girls basically wander around Donnie's house, uh, just sort of drunkenly mocking all of his stuff, until suddenly Suzanne is snagged through a door and... Basically, Donnie just rips her away and puts her in the in the metal room. Yeah. And the other girl is left kind of wandering around until she finds that room. Or no, she finds the room with all the bodies. The bodies, yeah. And Donnie grabs her from behind. And we get this really loud scream that's not coming from the girl and it's not coming from Donnie. So it's just like 
a sting, I guess, that's happening. But it carries on into Bobby and Father Garrity arriving. Right. Donnie complains to the collection of corpses that he was trying to be nice, but that they all took advantage of him. Which, at most, is... Like, I could see how he could misconstrue what happened with the first girl, where she was like, I want to call a cab, and he didn't want her to. But the second girl literally just got right in his car, and the, the third girl... Like it, it, it's, the, none of these people were mean to him in any way. He just killed them. He didn't. He didn't wait for do, them to do anything that it could be even misconstrued as an offense. Bobby and Garrity find the girls in the house. They like break into the house and find the girls right away and help them escape. And everybody leaves the house except for Father Garrity, who foolishly decides to go deeper into the house. Right. Um, and he gets to those tall stairs up to Mom's room, and. Right at the top of them is Donnie in the fireman uniform firing the flamethrower down and completely sets Father Garrity on fire and then he finally runs out of the house. But he's upstairs already so he, while on fire he makes his way two floors down two floors down, and never once start to like decides to like to stop, drop and roll or try well, to put himself Well, we've covered up. this. That wasn't a thing at the time. It was definitely a thing at the time. No, people didn't know how fire worked yet. He gets outside and Bobby notices and throws like a jacket over him and gets mm-hmm. the fire out. I don't think Father Garrity dies. We don't know. I mean, because yeah. we never see any of them ever again. I think Bobby's literally saying he's okay or I got I got him. He's going to be okay or something like that. Donnie decides that he's just going to completely torch his mom's room in a mad rage. And the whole house is catching on fire and he moves to the room where all the bodies are and he starts to set that on fire. And now the voices are telling him that... He- He's not the master anymore. Right. That they he lied and he is not worthy and he's just he's done. They're done with is, him. This is the first that we're getting of these these burnt to a crisp women actually standing up out of their chairs and approaching him. Because this whole time they've actually been played by women who just weren't moving. And uh they corner him in the house and he's just screaming as the fire is moving in from all directions mm-hmm. and the implication is that he's trapped in this house fire yeah. and dies. And we cut to a kid watching this on the news, the story about this house fire. And his mom comes in and says, I told you to turn off that TV and just starts slapping him around mercilessly. Mm-hmm. And then the voices jump into his head and say, Don't worry, Michael. We're here now. We're here to help you. We'll help you, Michael. We'll help you. Don't. Um, and yeah, I thought this was Bobby's kid and his abusive wife but no just completely unrelated kid I, I i would assume in the area because they're learning about some local house fire yeah yeah but otherwise it's not clear what the connection this it's, child or woman has to it's the rest just of it. the cycle continues yeah and, and and it's the first hinting that this is some kind of supernatural element that yeah. it's that that we're maybe could believe that this was all in donnie's head the voices and all that until we have a second until person. we have a second person who's yeah. affected mm-hmm. by them sure and, and possibly also just a sequel setup where you're just like oh let's see what, it, what this looks like when the kid is crazy from the beginning he doesn't have to wait for his mom yeah. to die um and were you guys as troubled by the credits as i was where this is like a really widescreen presentation but the names are all the way on the left and then the other corresponding name is all the way completely on the right yeah, it's literally aligned left and right so yeah. you're having to follow the dotted line there's no dotted out. line oh it's really just dead empty space and they're really small font and i was just trying to like finger trace i was like <laughs> i can't i can't connect these lines they're, they're moving too quickly and there's too many names in rows well the, all the names in the list were on the imdb listing so i was just yeah. like i'm just gonna use this but we have director uh joseph ellison here this is his first of two features uh, the other one is just like a straight drama called Joey about like a musician or something. So, but this is the better known of his two outings. Um, the writer is Ellen Hamill. One of the writers is Ellen Hamill. Mm-hmm. Uh, she played Bobby's wife. She also wrote Joseph Ellison's other feature. And I'm assuming that she is his wife because in the second film she is credited as Ellen Hamill Ellison. Mm. Uh, the story was written by Joe Macefield, who was the third writer on the film. This is his only writing credit. But he was a supervising sound editor on Evil Dead and Alone in the Dark, so he kept working in horror stuff. Yeah. Uh, Dan Grimaldi, who played Donnie Kohler in this, this was his first role, but he does work a lot. Um, he played a hot dog vendor in North. 
I love that movie. You like that. I do not like. (laughs) Oh. Wait, you don't like that movie either? No, I'm not a big fan of North. What's wrong with you guys? It's probably the worst Rob Reiner movie. But he also is probably best known as twin brothers Philly and Patsy Parisi on The Sopranos. Mm. Which I don't know that show, but you do. I do. He played both twins. He played both characters, yes. Robert Carnegie, or Carnegie, depending on however you choose to pronounce it, Mm -hmm. played Bobby Tuttle, the co-worker who has a strange vested interest in Donnie's life. Uh, This was his first film. The second was Cruising, (laughs) uh, which was released in America before this film. Uh, But those were his uh, first two credits. Darcy Sheen played the girl in the car that had broken down. Uh, This was her first role on IMDb, but she works pretty consistently. And she has a recurring role as Nan on Baskets. That's the Zach Galifianakis rodeo clown show. I've never watched that one. I haven't watched it either, but I've heard good things. And she also played Rose, who is the nanny in the beginning of Ant-Man and the Wasp, who is taking care of the uh, the woman who becomes Wasp as an adult. Okay. Um, as Hank and Janet are leaving on the trip where right, right. they get separated. Uh, Nikki Collins plays Farah, who was Bobby's date at the disco club. And she's a member of the commune in Simon. That was the only interesting huh. credit I could find on hers. Cool. I, I was really disappointing. So, o- o- Omera Leary, this oh. was the drunk girl. And she like she has two other credits on IMDb, but they were years and years apart. She, she was credited in a TV movie called uh, The Day Lincoln Was Shot and a short called Jake. But... Like, no other acting credits. And I'm like, that's such a shame because she's she was amazing. Great. She needs to be acting more. I tried to look her up to see, like, did she do something else with her life? And it seems like she had some, there were some mentions of her, on um, you know, like, theater mentions of her. Like, oh, okay. Broadway type stuff. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't really find much. Well, at least she'll always have this one scene. It was loved. Yeah. Oh, I wanted to mention uh, two of the other crew the uh cinematographer oh okay uh i was i i look for names and uh and once in a while i go that name sounds familiar that name sounds familiar so the cinematographer was done by oliver wood um this is one of his earlier films but later on in his life he would do things like die hard 2 bill and ted's bogus journey uh rudy uh celtic pride face off celtic pride uh the born identity movies which are very well shot yeah 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 uh, Talladega Nights, Anchorman 2. Uh, so he's worked with Adam McKay a couple times. Yeah, uh, he did the Equalizer 2. So I was like, he's, he's still working oh, that's as awesome. a DP. Um, the other is the editor, Jane Curzon. Uh, this is her first non-documentary feature. Oh, okay. Uh, but she would go on to edit Karate Kid Part 2, Beetlejuice, Hot Shots, uh, and uh, what was it? Oh, Monster, the Oh, okay. The, the Charlie's, Charlie's Theron. Theron, yeah. Uh, and so it's like, oh man, she's also Eileen not Wallace. a not a smaller small. So it's it's interesting that this was a early film for two people who are still working today, uh, and are kind of good good talented people. Well, if if there are problems with this movie, they are not the cinematography, I would say, or the editing. I feel like that stuff's good. The editing probably well, needed work in the second half. Well, but here's the thing: is the I don't think it was the when I say a bunch of these scenes were too long, because I literally have this note three times, you know, the pre-scene's too long, the suit scene's too long, the disco scene is too long. Like, all of these things are too long. I don't think they had enough material. So, like, I... They were I, trying to fill time. Yeah, I don't blame them for... I don't blame the editor for the cut of this movie. I no, blame no. the fact that there just isn't enough story here. It was, like, a short, maybe. It's also, definitely the, not a feature. The scene where he's buying the suit does feel like a very interesting documentary to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not, not so much a, a narrative story. Um, Jess, up or down? I don't think I could in my right consciousness... Con- conscience? Conscience. Conscious. Conscious? <laughs> conscious. You're talking about shells? Like... <laughs> I don't think I could recommend this movie to, to somebody to watch. So I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say down. Okay. Ricardo? Uh, yeah, it's also a down for me. Not not my cup of tea. It's an up for me because the first half is pretty solid, but I feel like it it does dip from there. But um, I think for a horror fan, this is worth checking out. Yeah, you'll make people watch anything. I won't make people watch anything, ever. <laughs> down for all movies. 
but except no. this one <laughs> this one is the only up um yeah uh letterboxed richard why don't you go first here uh this is uh below the windows threshold for me oh no uh i would put this between uh to all good night and fatso all right it's uh, it's similarly placed for me. It is below the windows threshold, but just barely. I actually have it directly below windows, which is above. Don't answer the phone. Okay. Um, I'm going to put it just under foxes, which is just above Little Miss Marker for me. Wow, that is favorable. I think I like the horror stuff more than you guys do, though, in general. I, I, I like a good horror film. I don't think this is it. Yeah, because I have The Changeling is, is my top five. Right. Well, when I say horror film, I mean, like, I like disgusting horror films more than you guys do in general. Like, that's probably true, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I got The Fog in my top five as well. Yeah, I got Changeling and The Fog up there. I just don't Changeling think... and The Fog are very artsy horror movies, though. They're yeah. not like blood and guts. I don't mind bloody and gutty. gutty. gutty? That's good. William <laughs> Peter Gutty. Bloody and, and gut-filled movies. I just, I don't know. I just don't think that this, I don't think this had enough story to warrant what it is. For me, the the gore carries it past like the story problems. But like me. you said, there isn't any in the second half of the movie. Well, he does get that cool candle smash. But I'm saying the first half of the movie is You don't get to see anything, though. Like, it's a dark disco. That's true. You vaguely see your hair on fire and then can't see any wax on So before when I said the editing good and the cinematography was good, what I meant to say is they were both not great. (laughs) No, actually, I I like the photography, but... I would have loved a good... In fact, that candle scene could have been amazing. If we had gotten a close-up and really seen, like, some damage from that wax and if the hair had... Fire had been, like, you know, stuff had been sloughing off. Like, there could have been a gruesome scene there. Yeah. I I think that was probably a budgetary restraint. Um, Although they paid for all these people to fill a club that night. Um, Assuming that wasn't just a club they were shooting (laughs) in. Yeah, I, I, I tend to feel that that was more the case. Which is why... Which explains everyone's lack of reaction because they they're just like they told us not to react, <laughs> or or they probably just like tipped something or broke something over just to get people to turn their heads. But yeah. it wasn't a gruesome act. It was just like someone dropped their glass and they're just kind of like, uh. Eh, uh. It wasn't a girl's head on fire when yeah. they turned around. But the movie's only like 75, 80 minutes long, right? It was it was under an hour and a half. Yeah, it was a short movie as it was, and I think if you had cut it properly, it probably would have been about forty five minutes long. That's true. If it if it had been tight. Yeah. So just add like two more kills. I guess those are the expensive part. Though. Yeah. Add another dream sequence and another <laughs> beach wandering sequence. If you All want Richard to like the movie, just keep adding dream sequences. That's his Have a jam. talking velociraptor. <laughs> They're getting smarter. I think that's about it for this one. If you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. If you consider rating us on iTunes, it would help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we will be discussing Nothing Personal, which IMDb summarizes as Suzanne Summers, an environmentally concerned lawyer, was hired by Donald Sutherland to halt the construction on a breeding ground of endangered species of seals. That seems like the first half of a premise. Yeah. Um, But maybe that's the whole movie. We'll find out next time on Vintage Video Podcast Network Sounds. Uh, Tune in next time for that. And we leave you now with the trailer for Nothing Personal. When a slightly absent-minded professor... What are you smoking that for? It's how I prepare for my classes. ...teams up with a lovely lady lawyer... I'm Abigail Adams. Their intentions are strictly business. They are killing seals out in Dawson Bay. They're an endangered species. Those animals are protected under the law. The point is, Senator, they're breaking the law. You can't condone a conscious conspiracy to break the law. But sometimes the most business-like relationship can turn into pleasure. You don't want to go home and pack? What for? Change a bunch of things. I don't wear any. And nothing personal can turn into something special. Mr. Keller. Mr. Paxton, this is 
Abigail Adams, my attorney, and we're going upstairs to talk. I want to believe you. Do you know it's against the law to do what we just did in 37 states, Puerto Rico and the Panama Canal Zone? <laughs> Hire the entire Pinkerton agency if you have to, but uh, find them. You are fantastic. <laughs> Your room was searched this morning. I used to think the bad guys were guys like Al Capone or Billy the Kid. But I was wrong. Because big corporations don't have any morality at all. Nothing. Look, it's your job to take whatever steps are necessary to protect us here. And all things considered, there have been more convenient times to fall in love. Is it about me? I always attract all the weirdos. Donald Sutherland, Suzanne Summers. It was the complete works of Henry Miller condensed into five minutes. <laughs> Nothing personal, I think.